0: Okay, we are working our way through the book, the Epistle of James. We're in chapter 3 this week. And um, our passage is 1 through 12. But let me uh, ask you to just get us started. What do horses, ships, and fires have in common? Well, one of the things they have in common is that they are used by James in this passage to illustrate the power of the tongue. Today we're talking about taming the tongue. Last week we dove pretty deeply into James 2, 14 to 26 in order to grapple with the faith and works issue that's there. But if you're the kind of person that prefers very practical sermons then this, this week is the week for you. This larger section, as we've been saying, is on faith and works. The point that James is making overall is that true faith yields fruit in the way one lives. In this section, James mentions three examples of how faith must be manifested in one's life. In James 127 and 2, 2 and 9, through 9, and then 2, 15 to 16, he mentions caring for the poor. In 127 and later in 4, 3 to 5, he says, talks about keeping oneself unstained from the world. And then the use of the tongue in 1. In chapter 1, 19 to 21, and then 26, and now here in 3, 1 to 12, our passage this morning. So let's read it. James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by, very, by a very small rudder Whenever the will of the pirate directs, pilot directs. Sometimes that pilot is a pirate, but in this case, it's just the pilot, the will that the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the image of God. I'm sorry, in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grape vine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's not obvious at first, when the passage begins, that James is introducing the subject of the tongues, of the tongue. Not many of you, he says, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with higher strictness. He starts by talking about teachers in the church and how people shouldn't pursue that role lightly because teachers will be judged by a higher standard. But as James continues into the next verse, it becomes clear that he's talking about this in the context of a larger point of what words we speak. Verse 2, for, and that's an important word because it connects us with verse 1, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So if one of us could master the words which come out of our mouths, we would have achieved perfection. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Horses are such large creatures, so much bigger than us, and so much stronger than us. And yet, people are able to control a horse by means of a tiny little piece of metal put through their mouths. And with that, You can get these mighty beasts to go this way or that way. It's really quite amazing. We see it all the time, so we don't think about it. But if if you were to stop and ponder the ability we have to control an enormous horse with a little piece of metal, it's striking. And then James reinforces the point by using the analogy of a ship. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So in both of these analogies, the horse and the ship, James is not saying that a person's tongue is somehow the control center of his being. Simply he is saying that though small, the tongue is, has much power and importance, like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship. And then he moves on to the analogy of a forest fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So here his point is slightly different. Instead of merely illustrating the power and importance of the tongue, the analogy of a small spark setting aflame an entire forest shows the destructive potential of the tongue. These days it seems like If you ever check the news, one of the news stories is about a forest fire that's blazing somewhere out of control. This morning's news, if you check it, talks about the Mosquito Fire in Northern California, which has been burning all week and has already charred around 35,000 acres and is 0% contained. And there are 3,666 structures threatened by this fire And the fire department made an announcement that it hopes to get it completely contained by October 15th. And that's just the kind of story you see every day in our news. And those fires all start by some little spark. A discarded cigarette, a lightning bolt striking a tree... A campfire not thoroughly extinguished. Some of you might remember that around 23 years ago we had a small forest fire in our woods resulting from one of our own children's carelessness. The fire department, along with our neighbors, were able to get it under control in a few hours and there was no significant damage. But many forest fires cause great destruction. Thousands of acres burned. Whole neighborhoods of houses burned to the ground and other structures. Animals killed. Sometimes people die. All from a little insignificant looking spark. And James is telling us that's what the tongue can do. A tiny little organ in the mouth, but it can have devastating effect. And then he goes on to say... In verse 7 and 8, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So, you know, uh, you go to SeaWorld, and you watch these animals that have been trained, these sea creatures, trained to do amazing things. But, you know, today we've had access to more than ever on YouTube. You could go to YouTube and spend your whole life. You can have a full-time job just watching amazing tricks that people have trained all kinds of animals to do. I even saw once a bison that had been trained to kneel down. You know, this ornery creature that that you know you think no one could ever want to even be friendly with one but they've they've all been or almost all have been trained to uh, bend to do something in obedience to mankind it's really an amazing power that we have over creatures and yet in spite of that power Not one person can tame his own tongue. You can't get it to do what you want it to do. In some context, evil stuff comes out of your mouth. Poisonous stuff. Stuff which hurts the people that you love. Stuff you wish you could take back, but can't. The tongue is not only powerful, it is uncontrollable and devastating. With it, he says in 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In this final section, James portrays the scandalous contradiction which characterizes the tongue of a Christian. The very same tongue with which we lift up beautiful praise to the Lord is used to curse the very people he loves. How many of us have been guilty of being at church, praising God, reciting his word in one moment, and then a few minutes later snap at a child or bark at our spouse's On the way home. And as James says, this isn't the way it should be. Bad fruit shouldn't be coming forth from the mouths of those who have Christ residing in their hearts. Having the Holy Spirit at work within us ought to make a difference in the way that we use our tongues. Our speech ought always be gracious seasoned with salt, as Paul says in Colossians 4.6. How can we expect people to listen to what we tell them about Christ when they also hear things coming out of our mouths which dishonor him? The main points of James 3.1-12 are rather obvious. The tongue, though small, has an enormous amount of power. In particular the tongue is capable of wreaking havoc like a casually discarded cigarette can cause a devastating and deadly forest fire so the tongue is a fire setting on fire the entire course of life the use of the, the thirdly the use of the tongue is just about the hardest thing for a christian person to master and forth, tragically, this means that out of the same Christian mouth often comes forth both worshipful praises of the living God and also the words which judge and condemn and disdain and disrespect. In light of this, we can well understand why a person should think twice about assuming a responsibility of teaching in the context of Christ church. The potential for harm is even greater for someone who is thought in some sense to speak for God and about God and to represent God to the people. And many books could be written about ways that pastors have hurt people in their congregations through their words. And as a pastor... I've never cursed anyone out. I don't think I've ever screamed at anyone, except in the context of my own family. But it doesn't take that kind of thing to do damage as a pastor. I have made arrogant comments, thoughtless comments, ill-timed, trivial comments, irritated remarks, I have spoken careless words, unkind words, judgmental words, selfish words, words which reveal something wrong in my heart. Some things I've said still haunt me over 30 years after I said them. And I know ways... That I've hurt people through my words. And I don't just mean that I hurt their feelings. I mean I did them damage. And if there's anyone here who I've hurt, I hope that you'll be willing to come and talk about it. I also have memories of things that have been said to me over the years. Which were deeply, deeply hurtful. Things which are hard to forget. I don't mean from people here. So why is the tongue so untamable and hurtful? It's important that we realize what the real problem is. The real issue isn't that we don't try hard enough to control our tongues. The issue is that there's something very wrong in the deepest part of our being, in our hearts. Eric Grover said it well in a song that we sing, In my heart there is a treason, one that poisons all my love. I told you a few years ago that my wife and I were greatly blessed by reading the book How We Love by Milan and Kay Yurkovich. Well, that book was so helpful to us that over the last year and a half, we've been meeting each week together, working our our way through the accompanying workbook that they've produced. And as a result of one of those sessions recently, uh, my wife and I came to the conclusion that we really didn't have tender hearts toward one another that we never had enough compassion on each other. We knew we had a tendency to say things to each other with an edge in our voice, and we had heard each other many times. And both of us have spent years and years trying hard to speak in a way where we couldn't be accused of being harsh. And then when we were accused of being harsh, we would be defensive. But we realized that the problem wasn't so much with our words as with our hearts. As Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty four, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we realized that what we needed to do was not work harder to control our tongues, but repent of our sin and cry out to God that he would give us tender hearts toward one another. And, you know, not that he is obligated to do this, but he has been doing some very precious things in our relationship over the last few weeks as we began to pray that. But our tongues are not only twisted. And not only a reflection of a twistedness deep inside of us, The fact is our tongues are diabolical. James puts it this way in verse 6. The tongue is set on fire by hell. We can't tame the tongue because there are actors and forces at play which are way beyond our control. I think a lot about what I will be like and what I hope to be like on my deathbed. But the fact is, I can't prepare for that and plan for that and make it the way I want it to be. Even then, my heart will be untamable and potentially hurtful. But as we reflect over the damage that our tongues have done and will do in the future, there are three things I think we should keep in mind. Number one, we should remember the golden tongue of the Son of God while he walked on earth and cherish the precious gems which came through that holy tongue they said of him in john 7:46 never has a man spoken the way this man speaks you think about all the great things mankind has ever said all the great orators all the inspiring speeches but no man ever spoke like him. Luke 4 refers to the gracious words which were falling from his lips. This is the one who invented the tongue and is not only the one who knows the truth, but is the truth. If the Old Testament law was more to be desired than gold and sweeter than honey. How valuable and delicious the words of Jesus are. And how precious these words ought to be to us. If the Old Testament law was water, Jesus' words are wine. Christ, the blessed one, gives to all Wonderful words of life. Sinner, listen to his loving call. Wonderful words of life. All so freely given. Wooing us to heaven. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. In a world of hateful and hurtful words Jesus' words are holy and helpful and healing the second thing we should remember in light of the damage that our tongues have done and are capable of doing that we should remember that one day every knee should, will bow And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. One day Satan will be cast down and his influence over us will be put to an end. And then on that day our tongues will no longer be impossible to tame. One day our hearts will be purely devoted to God and our tongues will be elegant tools Of his glorious praise. No more hurt, no more careless comments, no more world of unrighteousness, no more restless evil, no more deadly poison, no more destructive fires. Every word that comes forth from our mouths will be gold, every comment a treasure, every remark. Praiseworthy. That's where we're headed. I can't wait. And then the third thing. In the meantime, until that day, there is one more thing to remember. At times, James sounds like a pretty, like there's a pretty high level of godliness that is necessary in order for us to feel secure about the authenticity of our own Christian faith. So far in this epistle, there have been a number of verses which emphasize the need for works, not to be saved, but to demonstrate the reality of one's salvation. This is even the case with regard to the use of the tongue. In one twenty-six, James says if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. But in this passage, today's passage, James admits that Christians struggle a lot with sin. In verse 2 he says, For we all stumble in many ways. And in verse 2, Eight, He says, No human being can tame the tongue. You know, sometimes we need to hear the Bible's challenge that we must be doers of the word and not just hearers of it. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves that we all stumble in many ways. And that no human being Can tame the tongue Uh -uh. the fact is all of us are sinners saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in this life none of us lives the way we ought to live none of us speaks the way we ought to speak none of us feels the way we ought to feel none of us loves what we ought to love That's why we confess our sins and ask Jesus to forgive us. That's why we look to the cross. That's why when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, We're ashamed when we think about the things that have come out of our mouths. We're ashamed of the way that we've hurt people. We're ashamed of the ways that we have portrayed you in a negative way through our speech. We're ashamed of the ways that In response to your great love, we have communicated the opposite of love. We're ashamed of the fact that even though you have promised us that you are working all things together for good in our lives, that we still allow complaints and grumblings to come forth from our mouths which dishonor you and advertise to others that you don't do a very good job taking care of us or running our lives. We thank you, dear Lord, that in spite of all this, that these sins have been paid for by the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. We thank you that he bore the weight and that we are forgiven. And we pray, O Lord, that if nothing else, we would walk away from this worship gathering this morning more in love with you and more aware of how blessed we are And of the fact that the one who knows us best, the one who has heard every word that's ever been spoken with our tongues or even thought in our minds, loves us more than anyone else on earth. Now help us, O Lord, as we come to the table of our Lord and celebrate what he has done for us. May this be a rich feast of fellowship with Jesus and with each other. and May we rejoice in his gift of love. We pray in his dear name. Amen.